0: The answer for our culture. The answer for our culture. Colossians chapter 1, New Testament. We continue through, the, through this letter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> it's football time. Everybody know that? Anybody in this room in Alabama don't know that this is football time. Now, I know all you love your college teams, but I've never really been a college fan until... Hugh Freeze came to Ole Miss, and you know that my family and his have some connection. But I am a professional fan. In fact, we've been, we've had a fantasy league for the last um, six years, seven years, and, and they always tease me that I'll choose everybody on my fantasy team from the New Orleans Saints, because everybody knows that I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. But now let me just tell you, the Saints have had a tough time this year. They've played uh, Cleveland, they played Atlanta, and they went out there and they gave their best, what, what they thought was their best. They, gave, they, they played the game, and, and, and all the pundits said that Cleveland and Atlanta was not the team that the Saints were. And, and they played a game, and they were ahead all the way right to the end, and for the last two weeks, in the last minute or so of the game, they have lost the game on a field goal. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of many years ago, there was a movie entitled Top Gun, starred Tom Cruise. He was a fighter pilot. And uh, they were trying to train them how to fly those jets. And there were rules that they had to go by. And Maverick um, Cruise, his character broke one of the rules. You know, you're supposed to stay with each other in those jets to protect each other. And he broke one of the rules, broke off to go chase somebody that he really wanted to to get in their training exercise, and he ultimately got killed. And his instructor came in there, and these were his words. He said, Maverick, that was some of the most brilliant flying I have ever seen. Right up to the point, you got killed. You know, I wonder today if the culture today... Is doing that. Some of the most we think some of the most brilliant flying, most brilliant living that we have ever done. Right up to the point that our Lord splits eastern sky, or we close our eyes in death, and we find that maybe we're a field goal short because we didn't take care of His business. I believe that's what our scripture is going to teach us this morning. So, if you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, we pick it up in verse 24, and it reads as this, Paul's writing, and he says, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, did you get that? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am with, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which... I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I'm going to pause there to tell you he's just talking about God called him to do what he's doing. And I hope whatever stage and lot and place in life you are, I'm praying that you have sensed God's call for you to be at that spot. Now let's pick up. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. A message today entitled, The Answer for This Culture. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, I pray that for the next few moments, I pray that you will speak through your word. I pray that you will remove me from the equation that your word, your will, your witness, and your way can dominate our thoughts. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I began talking about football. Here's what I want to tell you. Every person in this room, every person in this room will play the game of life until either Jesus returns or you close your eyes in death. Additionally, every local congregation, every local congregation, is, including this one, is going to be a part of... Of the life process until either, as is happening to over 200 churches a month in America, until either the local congregation closes its door to ministry or Jesus returns. When you think about cultures, it's a little bit different. Cultures change sometimes for the better. And sometimes for the worst. When they change for the better, the people do well. And when they change for the worst, people fall into a lot of bad habits, a lot of sin, a lot of degradations. And cultures can, listen, ultimately die. I don't know about you, Jay. It's funny. He didn't know what I was preaching on today. But if you look around our culture, we have a problem. I believe that as a culture that we're failing, that we're faltering, I believe this culture is dying. It's easy to look at my granddaughter, whom you know so well, Piper, eight years old, and get a lump in my throat. And mist in my eyes and chills down my spine when I consider that if this culture continues on the on the same track the next 40 years, like it has the last 40 years, that when she gets ready are old enough that what we know to graduate from high school, we may not even have a country. You say, Brother Jerry, aren't you overreacting a little bit? Well, really? Let's... Let's just, I'm going to take just a few minutes of our time this morning to build a case that I'm not overreacting. I mean, ISIS is a whole new threat. Well, we got past 9 11 and they didn't attack, but listen, nobody's afraid of America anymore. You know how people don't, you know why people haven't attacked America? Because nobody goes up and attacks the big kid on the block. But when he's no longer the big kid on the block, he's fair game. But let's just lay all of that aside. Let's just look here. Let's fresh look at our culture. Did you know in the past couple of months since school started that one of our servicemen walked his elementary age daughter to the school in his fatigues to be told because he was wearing his service uniform he could not enter their school? It might be offensive. Did you know in this country that a little nine-year-old girl wore a 9-11 t-shirt to school and told to go home and take it off and change it? How about the 19-year-old American who was just convicted of conspiracy against America because she was going to go join ISIS? Then you say, "Well, well, what does that say? Well, let's just take it in perspective. In 1950... 78% 78% of households in America were occupied by married couples, not live-ins. By the way, teenagers, you don't know this, but that wouldn't have happened in the 50s, and if it would have, it wouldn't have been, would not have been celebrated. Today, instead of 78%, today less than half, 48% of Homes or households are occupied by married couples. In our culture today, half of the babies who are born to young girls under 30 are born out of wedlock, what we used to call illegitimate. 1963, if a movie wanted to be approved, wanted to get an approval rating from the Motion Picture uh, Association of America under their production code, they could not have any language stronger than hell or damn. They could not take the Lord's name in vain if they wanted a rating, and they could not present sex outside of marriage as attractive or justified have anybody's attention yet i was reading the internet this week and i and i found this article 10 signs of a culture's end written by brad kena and because i knew the the direction of the message i wrote these things down now, i'm not i'm going to tell you afterward because those who are made you're going to be surprised where it's printed on the internet Ten, number one, the ten signs of a culture's end. Number one, a society which no longer worships or acknowledges God. Number two, the decline of the family. Number three, a society's low view of life. I want you to how low our view of life is. not only is abortion the law of the land. Well, if, you, if you own the Internet, you probably saw it. There's a girl on the Internet trying to raise money on the Internet so she can have an abortion. Number four, the prevalence of base and immoral entertainment. Switch on your TVs. Number five, an increase of violent crime among young people. Number six, the declining middle class. Number seven, an insolvent government. That would be that would be funny if it was not so sad. May I just say this to you? Deborah's sitting here this morning. Glad to have her back well in here. But you cannot spend your way out of debt. The watch is no, because we tried one time. Number eight. A government that lives off a of society's moral decay. Number nine. The ruling class loses its will. And number ten, the people fail to see what's happening. You want more? Is that enough? Surely was for me. We live in a culture that desperately needs help. We're in a mess. We're in a mess, honestly, because of number 10. Most people don't really know what's going on. And when I read that, I was reminded of a story about one of the greatest, sharpest minds that we know of, a guy named Albert Einstein. Y'all studied about Albert Einstein? He was a man who was so focused on his work and scientific theories that he forgot the normal stuff, which we take pay attention to every day. That's why his hair was always so messed up. He never could remember to brush his hair. One time he was on a train going to a speaking engagement and the conductor came by and asked for his ticket and panic came over him. And he begins looking around for his ticket and the conductor said, Mr. Einstein, we know who you are. We're sure you bought the ticket. Don't worry about it. And he went on off and and they say Albert Einstein continued to look and he got up and got on his knees in front of his seat and started looking under his seat and feeling around and the conductor came back and said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry about that ticket. It'll be fine. We know you bought your ticket. I'm, we know you're Albert Einstein. He looked up at the conductor and he just says, I know I'm Albert Einstein, but I don't know where I'm going. I've got to find my ticket. <laughs> I dare say it seems today that as a culture, we really don't know where we're going. We might think we know who we are. We focus on the here and now. But I want to suggest to you, I want to submit to you that the answer for our culture is not in the here and now, unless it's in this here and now. When we look at our scripture, Paul speaks of a lot of things. He talks about suffering. He talks about affliction. He talks about his calling. He talks about his message. He talks about a hope. But I believe that in our text today is the answer for this culture. And I believe in this room, if we could discover the answer for this culture, it would not only be worth the price of admission, it would change our lives. By the way, price of admission, you know, part of what we do is we give. We don't give to the preacher. We shouldn't give to the church. We should give to the Lord. Every time I mention that, I'm reminded of the little of the family that went to church one Sunday. And on the way home, the uh, daddy was just telling all the things that were wrong with service. Music's too loud. It's too long. That preacher never knew when to shut up. Little boy from the backseat said, yeah, but, Dad, it was a pretty good show for a dollar, wasn't it? You see, folks, the answer for our culture is found right here in our Scripture. And let me tell you what the answer is not. Our answer for this culture is not found in, in politics. It's not found in power. It's not found in finances. It's not found in economy. It's not found in protest. It's not found, honestly, in any other human proposal. Last week, and I'll remind you of this because I know everybody could just tell me if I said what was the title of the message last week, the title of the message was, Looking in the Right Place. And the Scripture made an argument, and we did last Sunday morning, that if we're going to look in the right place for the answers to life, we're going to look up, and we're going to see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, and then we're going to look inside. If you look back in your Bible, and I... Admittedly, was out of town, so our technology may not work right. But I want to just tell you, in our Scripture, the answer for our culture is what Jack Taylor, 25, but 40 years ago now, wrote as the key to triumphant living. It is what the Bible here refers to as the mystery hidden for ages and generations. And it's now revealed to the saints the saints. And I'm not talking about the New Orleans saints. I'm not talking even about the saints that are already in glory. I'm talking about those saints, the person who's been changed by the power of God through the blood of Jesus, the person who, who has a walk with Jesus every day, the person who, that's the person to whom God reveals his mystery. Please listen, God's Word is written to those folks who trust Him and love Him and walk with Him and serve Him. And when I share this truth, it's only going to resonate with saints. In fact, if the truth of this this Scripture does not burn in your heart, uh, you might check and see whose heart it is. You see, God calls us to come to faith in Jesus be forgiven of our sin. Be given a new life. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out and, and let Him make our soul into what the Bible calls a new creation. Jesus loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough to raise, be raised from the dead for you. He loves you enough that when He went back to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to come in and lead you and guide you. The principle is in Scripture. i won't put it on the screen, I believe. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the Christ that's in you is not only the hope of glory one day, It is the hope of our culture. It is the hope of our country. It is the hope of our church. It is the hope of our community. Christ in you. The very reason our country and our culture is deteriorating, the reason our country and our culture is deteriorating, it's not because evil has become worse, but because God's people have either never discovered or have forgotten that Christ in us is the hope for life, is the hope for this world, is the hope for eternity, is the hope for all. Now watch how this comes together down in verse... We're going to take verses 27 and 28. Watch how this comes together. The first thing that jumps out at me is this principle begins with a person. That person is none other than Christ Jesus himself. Now, let me just say this. Most of us get excited when it begins with a person because we believe that the church exists for people. Hello? The church exists to honor Christ. The church exists to bring people to Christ. The church exists to worship Christ. And out of our worship, out of our service, out of our joy, out of encouraging, out of our being sensitive and unselfish and serving people come to Jesus. So watch this. It says Christ, the first word. Christ. And then down in verse 28 it says Him we proclaim. Most people like it to be like things to be about a person, but you know the person they want it to be about? Me. You, Brother Jerry? No. You. Me. We like it to be about us. In fact, I was in a a Purpose Driven Life conference about 10 or 12 years ago and was appalled. I would never heard anybody talk like this. We were sitting there, and and, uh, I was still one of the older guys there, guys. But one of the younger men there said, you know, I started reading this book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I didn't like the first thought because The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren wrote these words, It's not about you. And he said, you know, I didn't want to hear that because all my life it's been about me. Teenagers, you may think your home is all about you, but it really shouldn't be. In fact, it was toward the late 70s and early 80s when the home began to, instead of being about the parents and the parents leading control, it was about that time when parents began to build their lives only around their children. And so the world began to be upside down. It says, in our scripture it says, Him, Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Why do we do that? Warning everyone? Here's why. Because every person, because every church, because every community, because every country, because everyone who has ever lived is in danger of eternal punishment. And Jesus is the only answer. Did y'all get that? Jesus is the only answer. We proclaim Jesus because he's the one that offers salvation. He's the one that offers being saved from eternal damnation. He's the one that offers a promise of life, of fullness. He is the one that that can be the answer to everything that comes your way. This Jesus being a Jesus church, joyful, encouraging, sensitive, unselfish, and serving should be the characteristics that people see from us because Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He's the one that we have to turn to for the answers to life. He said... I have come that you may have life, old King James says, and have it more abundantly. A good, a good modern-day translation of that. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Teenagers, don't let this culture lie to you. It will swallow you up, and when it's through, it will wide you up like an old drink can and throw you in the garbage. Jesus is the one that can help you find life and find it to the fullest. And the picture there that, that the writer and that Jesus was speaking of when he said that is, is like a cup. Have you ever been pouring liquid? It don't matter. Coffee, tea, water, anything into a cup. And you got distracted. Oh, wait a second. All of you are too self-righteous to admit that. You know what happens when that cup gets so full? it overflows that's the picture he came so that we could have life overflowing the answer to this culture's dilemma is god's people being filled to the brim with the holy spirit of god spilling out on this culture so that the culture could could drink this culture who is thirsty and has parched dry parched lips that they can drink of the living water of jesus Jesus is the place that we start. He's the answer. Brother Jerry, do you think he can solve our financial problems? Well, let me tell you what he can do. He can solve the root problem. Our financial problems, while they are problems, they're not the root problems. The root problem is our heart. The root problem comes from inside. Listen, folks, Jesus is the answer. If you're not convinced of that, you're not convinced of Jesus. Jesus. He can, he can solve our society's problems. Guess what? If Jesus is the answer, here's the good news. Here's the good news for us. We possess what is needed in this world. Can I say that again? You don't seem excited about that. We possess what is needed in this world, and we offer what no one else can offer. Did you get that? Jesus Christ, the Holy One, God's only Son, the baby in a manger, the crucified One, the risen One, the ascended One, the Satan One, the Holy One, and the One who there is like no other. He is the hope for our culture. Man, is that good? We're on the winning team. But here's the stinging truth. If His saints... If the saints don't begin with Jesus, the world has no hope. If the saints don't start with Jesus and don't walk with Jesus and don't talk with Jesus and don't lift up Jesus, the world has no hope. Oh, but Brother Jerry, we as saints, we're going to get to see the king one day. That's great. How many people are we going to live to see the king of darkness? You see, everybody exists forever, somewhere. If you're saved, if you, know, if you walk with Christ, you're going to get to walk through those pearly gates one day. But everyone who doesn't know Christ are going to see a different set of gates. It's the one Jesus called the gates of hell. I want you to think about something before I move forward. Who is it that God has put into your life for the purpose of being introduced to Jesus? Jesus. It starts with a person. It starts with Jesus. It's not just something we do. It's a person that we come to know. It begins with a person. Christ. It continues with a place. It continues with a place. Christ in you. My daddy was a pretty good electrician. He wasn't licensed, but he worked on a... Kind of like Ken came up through and... Probably some others worked on a power company, and so we wired houses, and we did all this back before the, the day. And I know that if you're going to get a light bulb to work, you have to have a lot of things in place. To simplify it, let me just say you've got to have, we're going to simplify it to two things. You have to have a power source, that receptacle over there you plug in there, and, uh, and Ken, and Jamie, you're glad you do because they work for the Southern Company and that puts more money in the coffers. But you know what? You plug that in there, all of a sudden you got electricity. And then you have to have that wire to, as the conduit to bring that electricity to that light bulb. And you can have that light bulb all you want. You can stick it in your mouth. You can hang it in your ear. You can set it on your forehead. You can do whatever you want to. It's not going to work until you get electricity to it. Here's the deal, guys. The source of power for which we long, the source of power that we so desperately need is found with Christ being in us. In us. When He ascended to heaven, when Jesus ascended to heaven, He promised to send us a a comforter. He promised to send a Uh, what's called a paraclete and that para means one to stand alongside he promised to send us a helper he promised to send us a companion and when we realize that when we receive Jesus that the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes residence in our life and we begin to seek his counsel, we begin to seek his help, we begin to seek his will, you know what will happen life will get exciting it'll be fun Oliver B. Green, one of the great old preachers. I used to love hear Oliver preach on, on uh, the radio. He could, you could just hear him spitting for eight or ten foot, just as he is doing the introductions to his message. Man, he, he preached up a storm, but this is one of the statements that he said. He said, few believers realize how close Christ and the Christians are connected. I want to say this to everybody in this room, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you've trusted Christ, if you've exercised faith in Christ, if if you are trusting Him through His shed blood, if you've received Him by faith, then you have received, as preachers of the old said, baptized, you have been filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. And the living Christ is in you. Brother Jerry, I never heard that. Isn't that Pentecostal? No, I don't care whether it's Pentecostal or Presby- Presbymania or Baptistecostal or whatever. It's Bible. When he is in us, the power leaks out. That's good because because... The outcome of this relationship, as we read down here, is that we teach everyone with all wisdom. Now, how do we get all wisdom? Because the Holy Spirit comes and he teaches us. That means we teach, we instruct, we disciple, we win, we share, we tell people about Jesus, we make people have the path to come to know Jesus. It's an exciting way of life when it's lived out. You remember me talking about when Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it with fullness, and I compared it to a a glass. How many of you remember the old Sunday lunches with the tablecloth and the fine china? How many of you remember that? Have you ever been at one of those tables with that nice tablecloth and one of the kids spilled tea? Have you ever tried to get away from that tea? You can't get away. It doesn't matter where you go. It's going to get you before you get away from the table. Did you know that's exactly what it's like when the Holy Spirit of God fills us up? That tea's coming across that table, and it's going to get you. And most of the time what happens is we think, oh, they spilled it down there, so I'm good down here. But they don't, we don't know that that tea has a mind of its own, and it's going to get the person furthest away. You know what the truth is? That's what happens when the Spirit of God takes over a person. He's not just with us. The Spirit of God is not just with us. The Scripture says He is in us. And He is in us and He's empowering to do what He wants us to do. That's the hope of the culture, that God's people get so filled with the Spirit of God that like a glass of tea overflowing, that we're overflowing all around us. It begins with a person. The person is Jesus. It it continues with a place that's in you, Christ in you, and it concludes with a focus on a promise, on a promise, and that promise is the hope of glory. So review it. Christ. It begins with a person, Christ. It continues with a place in you, and it focuses on a promise a hope of glory now i know listen teenagers don't don't lose me here because i know that old people like to talk about glory because we, we old people were closer to glory than we are here okay we got more friends in glory than we have here but that's not simply what it's talking about you know we talk about glory the older people think about the new jerusalem beulah land or uh, um, heaven or paradise and that's the case but here's the truth the hope which is used in this scripture does not necessarily mean on the outside chance. It doesn't it doesn't mean on the possibility of. Rather, this hope is the anticipation of what can and will happen. It's the expectation, the confident expectation. It's the confidence of the answer. And guess what? When Christ really gets in us. Yeah. It becomes the hope of glory, and we may know what it is to have a little glory here. We may know what it's like to live with glory and in glory. What would it be like? Just think with me a second. Could you just kind of put it in park and think? What would it be like to live in a culture that was like Jesus? What would it be like to live in a culture that was like Jesus? What would it be like to be able to trust your friends implicitly? What would it be like to trust strangers implicitly because you knew they belonged to Jesus? Would that be a little bit of glory? You say, Brother Jerry, aren't you a little idealistic? Well, perhaps. Perhaps. But you see, this preacher believes in the God of the ages. He believes that the God of the ages is a God who does not come into a life and leave it like it is. I don't know if that's the God that you think Jehovah is, but listen, the God that I know... Simply cannot in our life and not change it. And if God's people never embrace and never live out this truth, then there is little hope for this fallen world. The call to us today, the call that God has given us, is on the screen. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in me. That is the hope of glory. And it is also the answer to the problems we face in this culture today. And it begins with you. I want to say it again. It begins with us. If we're content to do like we've always done, we'll be like we've always been. Said it many times. A definition of insanity is doing what you've always done and expecting a different result. If there's going to be a change in this culture. An answer found in this culture. It begins with you. Let's pray.